Welcome, friends, to the first episode of the Very Funny Podcast. Aptly called, genius name, thank you very much. You might ask me, Nimmer, how did you come up with a name as brilliant as the Very Funny Podcast? It's because nobody uh, took it, apparently. Can you imagine? I googled Very Funny Podcast as a thing. Like, I wanted to see a list of names for inspiration. I already follow a bunch of podcasts, um, Very Funny Ones. And when I wrote it down, I remember I was like, I wonder if somebody has the name Very Funny Podcast. Ha ha, definitely they do. Turns out the Very Funny Podcast doesn't exist. If it turns out that this first episode gets out and the Very Funny Podcast does exist, episode two will have a new name for the podcast. But just the fact that nobody's taken that name blew my mind. So I was like, you know what? And plus, I want this to be a Very Funny Podcast. Um, Because for me, funny isn't just mindless. For it to be funny, it has to be Brilliant. It has to be, it's got to have pizzazz. That's a word nobody uses. But uh, for it to be very funny, it has to be awesome. It has to be indispensable. What's funny to you, man? When people, um, when they're feeling down, they want to be, you know, pushed back. They want something fun. They go towards funny. Funny is the medicine of the mind, right? It's the one industry that that is always in demand out of necessity. You can't live without funny. Right. So um, I wanted to be the very funny podcast because it should be very funny. And that's it for episode one. Thank you guys very much. Take care. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Anywho. So I'm sitting in the same place where I do my stuff usually. But uh, you should know that this podcast is going to travel with me for I'm a man of international kinds of leisure. <laughs> I do a lot of traveling uh, as a guy who is trying to uh, be the greatest that ever lived or ever will be. Uh, you have to hustle. You got to grind. And I'm always traveling. Um, and by always, that means when when I, when I when I have a tour or I hit the road for a tour, the traveling is nonstop. I'm I'm coming to you now from Los Angeles, but usually I'm just I'm flying. I'm constantly in a plane. I always tell people. They say, "Where do you live?" I say, "I live out of a suitcase. I got a storage depot in Los Angeles and a storage depot in Lebanon. Those are my houses. One I rent in L.A. and one that I own in Lebanon." And Every now and then I'll, I'll swing by, dust off the furniture, clean a few things, sleep for a night or two, and then head back out. That's kind of how it is because nothing comes easy in this world. And much of the people listening to this podcast, you guys bust your ass every single day of the week trying to achieve your hopes and dreams and goals just because uh, I do stand-up doesn't mean it's any different. Um, some people think it is. It's not. Uh, it's insanity. It's 24-7. But sometimes I have time off, like right now, and this is why I'm launching the podcast right now, because I'm not traveling again until the 16th of February. I got a show on February 17 in Miami. Then um, uh, on the 18th, I jump a plane. I head to London. I got a show on the 22nd in London at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. Uh, on February 26th, I'll be in Paris at L'European. Uh, and on March 2nd, I'll be in Amsterdam, uh, where everybody tells me I have to go to look at this, at the touristic attractions. And on March 7th, I'll be in Berlin. 
So it's like a uh, uh, the end of love isn't the answer. Love isn't the answer in Europe. It's not the end because I still have a show in Toronto that we're going to announce on May 4. But those are those are the last ones. I'm going out to knock them out. Then I'm going to swing by Lebanon for a minute for, for about a week. See, maybe I'll put on some small shows or something just for fun. But mainly to see my parents. Long story short, <laughs> neighbors are cutting something. Long story short, you want to see me on the road, by the way, go get your tickets, nimmercomedy.com for tickets. That's nemrcomedy.com. So yeah, so uh, I wanted to start this podcast because, um, and you know, the, the reason that I haven't started a podcast yet or haven't had one is because everybody has a podcast and I hate that because it's like now, because everybody's like, dude, you should have a podcast. You should have a podcast. Everything I've done, I've always been the first to do. Like I was on MySpace promoting my stand-up comedy in the Middle East when I could post only 14 times on average per day because the internet was so slow. And Facebook and uh, the person with the most like, win- the, the picture that you post with who that gets the most likes wins tickets to the show. That was, I was the first one to ever do that. Um, the... Uh, uh, all these weird competition ideas, you know, tag your friends, the, tag the person, if you tag the more friends that you tag, you win, like all of this stuff. I used to always come up with these things and 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 use them first. When people tell me Facebook, who's going to Facebook? Nobody's going to use, what is this Facebook? It's never going to catch on Instagram. Instagram, it's never going to catch, who's Instagram? What's Instagram? You know, the Twitter? Twitter. Um, and then podcasts happened and I had my radio show uh, in Lebanon. Uh, it's still on Monday to Friday, 5 to 7 p.m. We broadcast all over the world. Um, and for me, it was just like for me to sit and talk for like 30 minutes, an hour, whatever. Who the fuck would be interested in that? <laughs> then I was like, that's my career. That's what I do. I actually get on stage. Uh, so <laughs> do a fucking podcast. So I'm doing a podcast, honestly, because. I I used to be more located in the Middle East. People could hang out with me, interact with me a lot more, very easily. And now I'm traveling so much that I miss you guys. So I fig- figure this is a good way to stay in contact with a global audience. You know, we kind of just take the whole world and suck it down into here. And uh, you guys can comment below things you want me to talk about. Ask me specific questions, by the way. Like, uh, dude, anything. You You have any relationship advice? Send it my way. Um, just hit me up on the DMs here on YouTube, or you can, uh, you can just, um, message me on any of my social networks. Go to my Instagram, send me a DM, my Facebook fan page. It's all number comedy or tweet at me. And, uh, every episode I'll pick some and I'll, and I'll do that. I actually have my phone here ready to go because later on in the show, in episode one of the very funny podcast, I'm going to look at some of the things you guys sent and I'll reply to a few of them. That's after I talk about some of the stuff I want to talk about. Um, so yeah, so this is a good way to stay in touch. Obviously, this is the first episode. I don't expect it to be a massive uh, success where all of the global fan base is tuned in. Hell, the way this is supposed to work, I should keep this going forever. And in a year or two, it'll develop to the extent where it has a massive following. Uh, at which point I will be bringing more guests on. I will be livening things up. But for now, uh, I want to keep things simple. I want to keep things manageable and on point. And I want to make sure that I can keep putting these episodes, uh, you know, consistently. Okay. Okay. Anywho, so this is it. We're here. We're together. And uh, we can make of it whatever we want. Uh, to jump right into it, 
I guess the best place to start would be with what's going on with me. So besides the upcoming shows, we're sp- I'm spending most of my, I, I say we because I'm engaged and uh, my fiance uh, is with me and, and she handles a lot of the marketing and we have teams of people to kind of market the shows out and get it out. It's been exhausting. Uh, I don't accept failure. I want everybody, I want every show to be sold out. A lot of people tell me, Nimmer, uh, who cares if it doesn't sell out? It's it's not for me. It's not an egotistical thing. Um Everybody who comes to my show, I want them to feel like they're part of something important, that they're part of something that a lot of effort was put into it, a lot of thought and care. If they show up to a show and it's half empty, they're going to be like, oh, it doesn't look like everybody's here. But if it's packed and people can't get in, whatever, you're giving them more. You're giving I'm giving you guys more value for your money um, because you're part of something that a lot of people wanted to be a part of. And at one point they couldn't be a part of anymore. So it's important that my events sell out. Because it's important for you to go to an event that is important. And selling out is a big indication of that. It's also a big indication of my success. You know, my ability to sell out shows uh, all over the world. But I have, I'm have i always very realistic. There's no ego here. I don't sell out just by announcing a show. It's like, hey, Nimmer live in London. Boom, we sold out. Six shows added. Look at that. It's, um, it's a process. You put the show out. You got to run campaigns online. To spread awareness. I'm very fortunate that people come to my shows when they know that I have a show, but um, they never know. And it's hard when you're trying to communicate to the world uh, all of these shows. We did, I think, 47 or 51 cities so far, and love isn't the answer worldwide. You can't just put it in one place unless you have a social networking following that is insane. But that's what's weird about that is if you get millions of followers on your social networks and you're just posting there, sooner or later, it becomes like a concentrated following from those people and you kind of get lazy and stop reaching out. So I hope that never happens. But at the moment, um, it's basically what's going on with me is we're spending a lot of time marketing, pushing the upcoming shows. Uh, This podcast, the videos that I'm putting out, we just put out an episode of APIO. For those of you who are fans of that old show, I'm happy to have brought it back. Um, I'm putting out a couple of videos every week. I'm going to try to increase that even more with the podcast. It'll be three. Uh, we just filmed a really cool video of me cooking bazella, which is a Lebanese food. Bazella is a Lebanese food that means basically green peas, carrots, meat, and rice. It's a stew. <coughs> and I did a cooking video to teach how to do it. If you, if you haven't already, I've done a couple cooking videos. There's a rice one and uh, me doing spinach. And uh, I was in a show in Oxnard, California. I'm at a Whole Foods and this guy stops me uh, with his girl. And my fiance was with me and she saw the girl like looking at me and she got, she's like, who the fuck is that bitch? You know, um, uh, my, my fiance is from uh, Oklahoma. Uh, that's a joke. She's Lebanese. Anyways, so they were staring and then they came up to me and they're like, sorry, um, are you, are you the guy from YouTube? And I was like, yeah, you know, showtime. I got a showtime special, you know, I'm on YouTube. I'm everywhere. I'm an, I'm an incredible comic, you know. They're like, we love your food. I was like, oh, thank you. I was like, are you here to see the show? They're like, what show? They didn't even know I was a stand-up comic. So they recognized me from a cooking video. Uh, And that was fucking great. So ever since then, I've been more motivated to even make more of these. And I know people are actually cooking the recipes, sending me the pictures, which is amazing. So anyways, I cooked one bazella with a good friend of mine called Al Ducharme. And Al Ducharme, I'm sure if there are uh, a lot of comedians that are listening to this, know the name. 
He's uh, one of the greatest comics ever. He's hysterical, and he's such a genuine guy. And in 2008, uh, I brought him out to Lebanon for the Beirut Stand-Up Comedy Festival. It was Al Ducharme, Pete Corrialli, Godfrey, Mike Bataya, myself, and local comics. And uh, I've kept in touch. He lives out here in L.A., and he hit me up and he's like, hey, I'd love to cook with you sometime. And that uh, the cooking videos were just, I was like, I'll just put out, a, I, these are the things I know how to cook. I think they'd be helpful and I can make it funny. And I never thought that, you know, um, it could be a show, but I guess now it is. So we filmed a very funny video that'll be coming out this week in a couple days. The podcast is going to come out first. Uh, I'm looking for a new APIO, a new song to APIO. So if you don't, if you have any suggestions, hit them down below. I'm trying to get stuff that's current and coming out. I don't want to go backtrack and do older songs uh, before I bring APIO back in a big way. And we've got at least like eight or ten episodes under our belt. And um, my next food that I want to cook is paella. And uh, I'm going to do a video about that. And I got this. Uh, well, I can't pull it into camera now. But uh, I got a new video coming out. You know what? I'm not going to spoil it. But there's, I think, one of the funniest videos I've ever done. It's a bit crazy. But I'm looking forward to it. It's like really, like, I'm writing down the script. And it's really funny. So that'll be coming out as well. So in terms of like, that's what I got. The shows, the videos that we're putting on, the marketing, the promotion. I'm going to the gym now. I'm trying five five days a week. We're working on, working on those gains. They're coming around nicely. I gained a lot of weight on my last tour. That tends to happen. Um, it's exhausting and you're going to sleep super late. You're eating late. You're waking up. Your time is horrible. You're traveling all the time. But this time I made a commitment to kind of get healthy and I've, I've stuck with it since August. Uh, I went on a keto diet. So I'm in, I'm in ketosis, which means I can read your minds. I can see into your cerebellum. And let me tell you, between you and me, the fuck is wrong with you, bro? That's messed up. Though. Anywho, so um, yeah. Um, I'm on a, I'm in ketosis. It's pretty cool. I can fly, I can levitate, and uh, <clears throat> uh, my nipples talk to me. Anywho, so, um, what, what was I saying? So yeah, so I'm staying healthy, and that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm about. As for what happened in the last week, let's talk a bit about a few things I wanted to talk about. Capernaum, actually, somebody sent me and told me, hey, do you, we'd love it if you could talk about, um, you know, the, the movie industry, the trends we got going on. I'm going to read it to you. I was going to talk about this anyways, but just so you guys know that I, I actually read your uh, the messages that you send me. Let's see where the where the hell is the the I had a there it is podcast. I saved them to a folder. Um, I got some great things by the way, and once again, I'm going to go through these uh, through a, few, a couple of them um, later on. <clears throat> Uh, where the hell is it? Lebanon's film industry, maybe especially with the Oscars coming coming up in Capernaum, Capernaum is nominated for best foreign film. Uh, we already lost in the Golden Globe, but maybe you can share your thoughts on where we're going in the industry. Would you ever act or maybe direct in a movie? Okay, so I saw Capernaum. Uh, it's a Lebanese film by Nadine Labaki. She's an incredible director and storyteller. Uh, a lot of her movies have been nominated for a ton of stuff. And Capernaum is the second Lebanese movie to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Foreign Film. Last year we got nominated. This year again, so two in a row, which is amazing. Um, I went and saw this. I don't want to spoil anything about the movie, but I think if I were to... if I What's the best way to describe it? It's a story about an incredibly impoverished young child and the trials and tribulations he goes through uh, growing up in Lebanon in a very isolated kind of... He's not isolated. It's just his experience is very harrowing and uh, and shocking to see and uh, very real. And what Nadine Labaki managed to do in this film is to shed light on a lot of things in Lebanon and in the world that we don't really look at, you know, truly diving into 
a poor street child's upbringing. Um, the uh, the problem with their with their parents uh, reproducing too much, basically having too many children. Basically, it's a movie about this kid who's suing his parents so they stop having kids. Uh, that's not what the movie's about, though. But that's what the movie's about. I can say that. And you'll think that it's a courtroom drama. It's not. It's an incredible film, and it's in the media. Of, it's in. A, it's in a, in a place of its own. But what's incredible is the directing, because there are actors and actresses in this film. None of them are actors, and uh, the, the 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 killer performances come from people who aren't professional career actors or actresses. There's a black woman who acts in it. She should be celebrated for what she did in this movie. She's incredible. And I believe she's uh, she's not an actress. I believe she's, uh, if I understood correctly from the interviews, she's just another domestic worker in Lebanon. Jaw-dropping performance and shedding light on inherent racism and the problems uh, that Lebanon suffers from when it comes to domestic workers, their situation, their plight, also on poor children, on Syrian refugees. And this movie managed to draw so many complex narratives and tie them into a perfect bouquet. I can't recommend it enough. And the directing is outstanding because when you're ta- when you're working with people who aren't actors and you're being able to draw out these performances, that's pure directing. Also, a lot of it was filmed from the perspective of a child. Camera angles were low. Keeping the focus, uh, to me, blew my mind that they were able to pull focus and keep it in some of these shots. Uh, I just, if I get the chance to, I know Nadine Labaki, um, but if I ever get the chance to, and she she would ever grant me the the honor, I would love to sit down with her. Maybe that'll be our first guest for this podcast. But I'd love to sit down with her and really get into the technical details about that film because it's unbelievable. But best of luck to her, nominated for an Oscar, and man, I hope she wins. But honestly, the film is such a triumph that it's a victory regardless, and uh, I'm so fucking proud of that. And to answer that question directly. Um, this is the second Lebanese film that's been nominated for an Oscar. It's a low-budget movie, against all odds. Nadine Labaki put her own money into it, her own resource. A lot of the people work for free on these movies. It, it's a testament to the fact that when you want to do something, nothing will stop you. But it's just like Herculean, what it's going to take for you to be able to, to pull something like this off. And um, <clears throat> stories, it's all about stories, man. If the story's good enough. I mean, look at stand-up comedy. It's, it's, I'm up on a stage. There's no production. It's just a mic and the uh, lights, and you, you're telling a story. And if it's captivating and your rhythm and your pacing is on point, then people will pay much more than they would for a movie ticket for that. So I think it's a testament to how... Also, it's, uh, it's shocking that it's taken this long. You know, what, what always disappointed me about the Middle East is there's so, many, there's so much life happening in the Middle East, there's so much shit to deal with on a daily basis. And then you'd see that the artistic output from the country was horrible. You'd have Lebanese people who'd come to the US, you know, second generation, Europe, Australia stuff, do incredible stuff. But it always go under the, the, the guise of the country they're in. It was never like from that country. That's why I take a lot of pride of, of, of building stand-up comedy in the Middle East and my career from there. Because I did it against all odds when everybody was like, you're Lebanese, you have an American passport, what the fuck are you doing here? Leave, are you crazy? And I was like, dude, what? are you crazy? This, this is where you should be right now. Like, this is where you build spirit. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, dude, I remember in 2006, there was a war in Lebanon and bombs were dropping. 
all over the country and it was everywhere. I went to Adma in my in my no bombing Beirut show. There's a clip you've probably seen online called uh, PTSD soccer. And I talk about having a hernia surgery where a plane dropped a bomb uh, outside the hospital and the windows exploded. It's a hilarious joke, but it's it's actually true. I was I was having hernia surgery um, and it was interesting because I had I've always in my mind had this furious battle going on with imaginary opponents and everything I do, I have to be the best. I have to be the greatest. I have to be prepared for the for the for the odds that um that that I won't be able to to handle. I have to. I'm never going to be ready enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And it it's not just in my comedy, but it's also in my like when I, I would go to the gym. I was training four sometimes five hours a day, and then on Saturdays I would do um, about eleven hours of training. I do martial arts every other day, and on Sunday on the day off I'd be running around. And um, I used to, I used to be so <clears throat> angry, and I was training from a very unhealthy place. I was always just furious. I wasn't happy with where I was in my life, and I would, I would take it out. I wouldn't sleep. I'd sleep two, three hours a day. I'd keep getting sick. I'd still go to the gym. I'd still push myself. And in my mind, it was I would always imagine like it's I'm doing all of this. I'm training for that situation that I get into. That the impossible odds. And uh, then the 2006 war came. Those were the impossible odds. And uh, I had this bulge in my pants. Was that? It's not my dick. Uh, I had this bulge. So if you don't know where a hernia is, it's in your lower abdomen. It'll be for a man. It'll be um, in the genital area, but closer to the stomach. So above where the scrotum would be. And um, you get this bulge. And I was getting, I had this huge bulge coming out. And I was like, oh, what did I do? Did I pull a muscle? So, okay, I guess I won't lift weights today. And it disappeared. And for months, I kept training. And the bulge would like come and then go and then come and then go. And I'm like, oh, I think I know which exercise is doing it. It never occurred to me that it would be a hernia. I didn't know what a hernia was. In Arabic, it's called a fte. And fte, then fit it means kind of like to rip apart. And I thought a fte, they'd say fte bil madi, which means a, a a rip in the stomach. I thought it was in the stomach, like in the belly area. So down there, it didn't occur to me like that was something. I just thought it was a weird pulled muscle because I used to do these insane exercises where I'd, I'd hang from a bar and I'd put uh, 30 kilos, which is about 50 pounds uh, more, close to 60 or more even, between my, um, my ankles. And I'd lift my legs straight up and my thighs would touch my forehead. I used to do a lot of martial arts and competitive fighting and do sets of that. And I, and I, I, that was definitely contributing to the hernia, but anywho, the war comes and we were staying in, um, uh, uh, a place called Rimal, which is like a, a beach resort. And, uh, we decided that there was an electricity plant next to that area. And we were afraid that the, they would bomb the electricity plant because it would be an infrastructure, like a targeted hit. So we said, let's go to Adma, which is where I grew up, our house over there, and uh, we'll stay there. It's uh, far away from everything. There's nothing there. They ended up bombing all around that area. And I remember we get to Adma, and I have a giant TV. You remember the Trinitrons, the gigantic TVs with the display in the back? And uh, they'd be like this thick. Uh, and like, what, 28-inch screen? That's huge. Um, yeah, so... We had one of those, and I carried it up the stairs. By the time I got up and I put the TV down, that bulge was ridiculous. So we we run to a hospital, 
And um, the guy, I walk in, I Googled it. I'm like, oh my God, I have hernia. So I go into the doctor and like, I have a hernia. And he's like, uh, really? What makes you know that you have hernia? Are you a doctor? And Arabic is like, I'm like, no, but I, I Googled it. He's like, Walla, Google. Like, you know, it was. <laughs> and uh, he's like, if you have a hernia, you shouldn't be able to walk around freely. And the thing was, I was in such good shape that I was like ripped everywhere. So I had lo- he he lays me down and he's like, you have a shocking, like a really bad hernia and it needs emergency surgery. And I was so ripped at the time that losing my entire right lower abdomen was ripped completely open. And that bulge was my lower intestine hanging out of my uh, <laughs> stomach area of my abs. And he's like, OK. There's a war going on, so to avoid surgery, I'm going to try to pop your lower intestine back in because if it stays out, it can get disconnected and it causes poisoning. Or And he proceeded to try to push my lower intestine into my body. I've never felt pain like that in my life. I'm guessing pregnancy hurts. I have no idea. But that felt like what it was so painful. It was an internal pain that you just like you couldn't even. It was, I walked in a man and I walked out like, uh, I was <laughs> I was dying and uh, he couldn't get it back in. So the next morning we came, did an emergency surgery. The plane dropped the bomb, windows exploded. And my dad said, would you like some pudding? And that was the basis of that joke. I can't even remember why I was telling you this, but, um, oh, now I do. This all leads to what I was saying about spirit building and why Lebanon is incredible in that. I remember during that war, I get the hernia surgery, we leave the hospital, I come back home, the bombing's going hardcore. Every day, things are blown up. The highway underneath our house, we're on top of a a mountain, and about two minutes down, you get to the highway, there's a bridge, bombed, gone. Uh, Electricity plant right next to our house, not like the one where we left, like a small little kind of suburban thing, bombed. Uh, Innocent civilians dying everywhere. And some of my best jokes came out from that incident. I used to have a joke where, because my dad and Lebanese people always make jokes all the time, even the most stressful situations. He'd talk to his friend in Beirut and he'd be like, you know, the guy would be, he's like, how's the, <laughs> how's the war? And the guy's like, uh, you know, I can't, I can't really see it. Like they're bombing, but I can't really see it. And my dad told him as a joke, he was like, dude, I got a view from, from here, from my house. When the bomb drops, bro, it's like it dropped on me, you know? And it was an Arabic joke where he, he basically is like, And that joke went super viral. People thought it was hilarious because it really models the Lebanese spirit. They're always joking, trying to make positive out of the most bizarre situations. And I remember the thing that I think was the most... I don't want to word this wrong because some terrible things happened during that war. But the thing that that caused the most like kind of angst for me was when me and my friend George would play SNK versus Capcom on the PlayStation 2 and the electricity would cut at like a tense, like you'd be like, ah, you're playing, it's getting super tense and then a bomb would drop, the electricity would cut, you'd be like, ah, what the, ah, like that was... And I know some of you might be thinking what I'm saying is ludicrous, but you have to understand what I'm trying to tell you is when you get to a point where your spirit and your strength of character is so strong that that is what you remember from an experience like that, 
um, it says something about how fucked up where you're living is, but how great it is at the same time. So I re- once again, going back to Capernaum and everything, Lebanese people have this ability to always overcome and, and draw a great strength from it as long as they're not killed, which happens. Um, and I like to think that what I'm doing here, the reason that I left the Middle East, I didn't leave. The reason that I expanded beyond the Middle East was I really wanted to show the world what we can do. So anytime I see a movie get nominated for an Oscar that's coming out of Lebanon or something, you you can't understand how that makes me feel. My entire life's purpose has been to kind of demonstrate to everybody like, yo, you're missing out on this incredible thing from the Middle East, right? And you can't do it bigger than than a film getting nominated for an Oscar. So I really, really wish her the best. Uh, to Nadine Labaki. What an incredible woman. What an, what an icon. What a hero. And... Um, <clears throat> in the, no bombing in Beirut when I did my Showtime special. I wanted to film it uh, in Beirut and in and in America. I wanted it to be between the two places, but I didn't want to tell people. I wanted it to feel like one show so people could see we're all the same. That was my ambition. And my manager, my previous manager, um, told me I was, I was, you know, it was absurd. Sorry, there's a light that's flickering. I'll take care of that for next time. But he said that, that, that you know, that's, it's a waste of money. Nobody's going to finance it. You're not going to be able to sell it. Just film it here in Los Angeles. The material is funny enough. I'm like, yeah, but that's a missed opportunity because we could do a special that could change things, man. Like people could watch it in America and then 50 minutes in, they're like, wait, I'm watching a show in Beirut and America. It feels like it's the same. Just like we could we could change things. We could set a narrative. We could we could begin making a difference. Yeah, they didn't care. Uh, <laughs> he, he didn't believe it would it would really matter. Um and uh, really, nobody really was interested in that special. So I said, okay, I'll do it myself. I'll film it. I'll pay for everything. People see these huge shows that I do. They think I make a fortune. I do make good money, but I barely come out with any profit because I do things like this. And because uh, it's important to me. It's important to me that we do something. Not that I put something, that I, that I get paid. It's important that it, it, was, it, it added up to something. There was a point to it. So I filmed my Beirut show of No Bombing Beirut. I filmed my Los Angeles show on No Bombing Beirut. These were huge shows. In Los Angeles, there was 2,000 people. Lebanon, it was 5,000 people. Um, huge shoots, massive crews. And effectively, you're, you're paying double the cost of what a special should cost. So instead of filming one day, one location, two shows or something, you're filming two different locations, a totally different crew, totally different setup. The editing was a nightmare. Combining the two to make it feel like, you know, it had the same energy and not be disjointed. The audio... It was a nightmare. You got two different, completely huge, different types of, you know, it was a two-story theater in Los Angeles at the Novo. So it was smaller in size, but the crowd was on top of each other. Laughter filters in and bounces around differently. And then in Lebanon, it was a massive hangar, warehouse, uh, Biel, uh, which is now the Seaside Arena. And it's just one level of people, 5,000, just kind of cascading laughter with, there's echo and so it cost me a fortune to color grade. It cost me a fortune to master the audio. In fact, I'm I'm so adamant that we get things right that the first time we mixed the audio, uh, it was it wasn't to my liking, and I paid full price. And then we did it again, and I'm still not happy with it. I st- I'm actually doing it my a stereo mix myself. Hopefully one day I, that that'll be good. But anyways, um, and then my manager took it to Showtime. And they picked it up. So sometimes you got to, you know, somebody, the, the original question that 
that I was asked here was, would I ever be interested in acting or directing? I directed that Showtime special. I've directed every special that I've done. Um, I love directing. So yeah, I would definitely direct a movie. I've done a lot of shorts. I've done a lot of stuff that people don't know about that I put out there uh, through different organizations. And I would definitely love to act. But my passion is stand-up comedy. And my greatest passion is that I stand for something. So that's... That, you know, all those thoughts came to me just from watching watching Capernaum. Just the ability to see something so difficult to pull off, pulled off, and to get an Oscar nomination. Incredible. Anywho, go and check out the movie. If you haven't, it's a must. Uh, I'm going to take a look at some of the stuff you guys sent me as well. Let me see. I actually had some notes. Um, oh, I mentioned, yeah, that's what was going on with me. Let's talk about some of, let's jump into, what, what, how long has we been going on now? Almost 40 minutes, so it's time to, I say, jump into what you guys were asking me, um, some of the stuff. And look, for the future podcasts, like I always talk, it'll even get more interesting when I'm traveling on the road and stuff in terms of what I would talk about. I just don't like talking about things of my own volition that I'm not sure you guys might care about. So if there's something you want to know, ask me. And the most interesting thing is if you ask me for any advice on any situation you might be going through. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look here at um, at some of the uh, questions. The charger flew out of my phone. Uh, Mustafa Fakani. Oh, by the way, let me give a shout out to the uh, girl who asked me that question about Capernaum. Uh, oh, sorry. It was Guy. George Jazar. So shout out to him. Um, so let me take a look here. I'm just going to jump into uh, a question here. So JMA Rizik. Would love to hear about engagement marriage situation. Sure. I should get my should get my fiance here. I don't know what that light is that keeps I don't know if you're even noticing that. Should get my fiance on the podcast one day. That would be pretty interesting. So my fiance marriage situation is I'm engaged and uh uh to a woman that I love very much. And if you saw love isn't the answer, it's been a um it's been incredible. No bombing in Beirut, I talked about being cheated on. And uh, how devastating it was and how scary marriages and how terrifying relationships can be and how weird people are who wait to have sex until after marriage. So all of these sets were in this thing. And now I'm I can't wait to get married because uh, I had this conversation with a guy the other day. He was like, dude, like because my best friend here, one of my best friends, Michael Bea, got married here in Los Angeles. Uh, he got married in Lebanon, did, did you know the civil ceremony here. So we went down to the courthouse uh, when he got married and a friend of his was with us and he was like, man, I don't know, like Nimmer, you're getting married. Michael got married. I don't know if it's for me. And I'm like, dude, it's it's not whether it's not for you or not for you. It, you either get married or you don't like it's not a choice. It's just there's going to come a time where you can't resist wanting to do it. And I'll be honest, man, I was lonely like uh, before meeting Reem, my fiance. I was lonely because even though you can be surrounded by a lot of people, it doesn't mean that you're um, you're connecting. And you get lonely, especially when you're traveling from city to city and you start waking up. There many times I'd wake up at night and I wouldn't know which city I'm in. Like, I'm like, where am I? What time is it? What time zone are we in? And it happens so often you start to, it, it's a very weird emotion. And you'd, um, and you had nobody to share all of this with, you know, like, what's the point just for you? Like, it was weird. And, you know, sex and, and, and meeting people and relationships and all of that is, is great. 
But after a while, there, there, there's no, it has to have a point. You, I've always been a guy who I need to, I know we have to be going somewhere. I've never been that kind of guy that's like, yeah, I want to fuck bitches every single day like I'm a player. I never, I never understood that mentality where people are like, you know, like, but bro, like, don't you want to like, if you get married, it's just one woman for life. I'm like, yeah, man, I found one woman for life. Like, I don't see how that's a negative. I don't see how somebody could equate like you can have, first of all, (laughs) 99% of people are like, I want to get married because I want to stay. I want to be able to fuck bitches. They can't fuck bitches. Um, (laughs) A lot of people who who talk like that are are fucking stupid. I'm trying not to say that word anymore. But um, you you can date and you can meet a lot of people, but it's it's mind blowing when you can meet that one person that makes you not want to meet other people. Like how incredible is that person? You know what I'm saying? Like you could be, like take it this way, right? What's bi- what's what's more incredible that you have casual sex so often that it just becomes the norm, or you have sex with one person for the rest of your life that means you're not fucking that person it means that you're growing with that person do you get what i'm saying like marriage isn't like oh i've just chosen one person that i'm going to spend the rest of my life with or i'm going to bang for the rest of my life. marriage is i've chosen the, a person that i see the rest of my life with right like i see a growth with with i'm not going to be the same person like that guy told me in the car he's like yeah but like after 30 years I'm like, you're not with the same person. You aren't. Every day you're with a different person. It's just you're growing together. You have the same goals, the same aspirations. Um, so I obviously I'm, I'm madly in love and very excited and happy about it. Because just being able to find somebody you can you can connect with in this world is, is insane. And once you get it, just hold on to it. Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot and let it go because you're afraid of commitment. Commitment isn't what you should worry about. The fact that you're afraid of commitment, like what, what about committing to you? You know, you should somebody if you can find somebody who's willing to give you everything, then then why not take that, man? As long as you obviously love them and you want to give them everything. I think the best way to have a marriage is you take care of them and they take care of you. You don't take care of yourself. That's the the best relationship, not just even a marriage, even a, just a relationship. If you surrender to that person and only take care of them and they surrender to you and only take care of you, it works for life. If that's your only obsession, reciprocity. But if you're a bit selfish, it's not going to work. So I'm not saying marriage is for everyone. I'm saying it's for everyone once you meet the right person. If you don't, stay single, man. Because if you're single and you're happy, it's much better than being married and miserable. That's a, that's a good one right there. So I think that's my fiance, my engagement marriage situation. Um, let's. I'm going to grab another one. One more, I think. That should be enough for the podcast today. Um, somebody asked your rise to comedy. Uh, kind of talked about that. Let me know if you want to know anything else. Advice for aspiring com- comedians. Uh, Nina asked that. Nina, um, there's a guy online. I don't know. Let me see if I can pull him off. He's giving tips right now on Twitter to uh, Twitter comedian uh, tips every day. He's doing it for this whole year. My advice to a comedian. Try to find it online. I don't. I can't remember what his name was. I'm actually following him on Twitter, but... I don't remember his name off the top of my head. So I'm trying to see if I could find him just randomly for you guys. But it's going to be kind of difficult. Steve Hofstetter uh, tweeted about him the other day. 
Sorry, I'm, I'm wasting a bit of time on this. I should have been more prepared. I, I just didn't know. I didn't like to read the questions too much. Ah. Oh, no. I'm Okay, hold on. I'm looking through this right here. Come on, Steve. Come on. Dude, you, you post too much. Okay. Somebody. There's somebody... There's somebody out there who's giving out tips and he's doing an incredible job. You know what? I'll research it and I'll put it down in the comments below um, and you can check it out. Follow him on Twitter and um, and see the advice he's giving because that is the advice for aspiring comedians. Everything he's written, I agree with so powerfully and from my soul that I don't think that I have anything to add on to that. Um, <clears throat> let me take a look. The importance of accepting oneself and others. Nirmin Sasur. I'll end on that, man. The importance of accepting oneself and others. We live in a judgmental society, man. Uh, I think we always have. I don't think it's something new. I just think that now we can post our judgment online. I'm a stand-up comic. We judge as a career. It's a fine line between judging and illuminating. And um, I think it sucks. I hate, I don't judge anyone. I really don't. Um, unless they're being, causing harm to other people. And that that's that's an interesting sentence to say because some people will not judge anyone. They'll be like, I'm not judgmental. But then what their definition of harm is different than your definition of harm, right? So if a woman has an abortion, uh, I'll, I'll never judge her, ever. But some people will because they think that an abortion is really bad. And um, they think they're, that you're murdering a baby. And for them, they think that's causing harm. Therefore, they pass judgment. It's just, it seems very the audacity of somebody to be able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes in a specific situation, like, blows me away. And um, I think it starts because we don't accept ourselves. I think a lot of people are, there's so much that we don't accept about ourselves that we start to project on other people. I've always said that people who try to try to bring you down, I still have so many haters. Um, they're definitely not the majority, but I keep, you know, people, oh, Nimmer, who's Nimmer? He's not doing anything. You know, I sold out 6,000 person show in Lebanon, biggest show in the history of that country. And people still say that I'm never going to make it, which is very funny and offer me exposure, you know, like uh, this is great exposure for you. You should do this gig for free. <laughs> But people always try to drag me down and I never get offended by it because I realize that those people are in such a terrible place in their life that for them, the only way to feel on my level is to bring me down to theirs. And that's what happens with a lot of us, man, in the comment sections and a lot of everyday people. There's so much judgment going around because people don't accept themselves because you have all those people who are like, man, I want to be this. I want to do that, but I can't be that. I could never do that. I don't have the resources. I don't, I'm not in the right country, Right. They say they want to be a, a comedian. They want to be an actor. They want to be a whatever. If it wasn't for this, I would have been that. If it wasn't for that, I would have been this. And then they see somebody who is able to do what they wanted to do, to let go, to not care, um, to, to not give a shit that people said he's a clown or that he's a stupid comic or that he's not getting paid a lot of money to leave a high paying job to work in a domain just because they love it so much. Dude, when I left stand up comedy, when I left insurance broken, which is what, what I was doing before stand up, I was making bank. I was making thousands of dollars a month till I left it and started making 50,000 Lebanese pounds, which is thirty three dollars 
on a good week. And But I remember the first time somebody gave me 50,000 Lebanese pounds for a show, they felt like a million dollars, right? And I just, that was what I wanted. So I went after it. And um, a lot of people don't do that. They don't have the balls. They don't have the courage or maybe they just don't really want it as bad. And then you did it. So what's their excuse now? They have no excuse. So in front of their friends and their family, they 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 have to, they can't say it anymore. Because if they say, I, I could have done this, but you know, I, I I didn't have anything. I didn't have money. I didn't, they'll be like, what about Nimmer? You know, he, he didn't come from a rich family. Uh, he worked his way up. I grew up very poor. Uh, my my family was never given anything. We weren't given any free rides. You know, I don't come from a wealthy drug lord family in the Middle East or oil owning family. We're Abu Nasr. I think I'm the most famous person in my family. I don't. I don't. I'm pretty sure. Um. So it's. So how do they deal with that reality? There are two ways. There's one way, which is to be like, man, you're right. Fuck. I could have done it. Lesson learned. I'm going to tell my kids. Make sure they don't make the same mistake. Or you're going to be like, oh, Nimmer's famous because of this, this, or that. Oh, it's just a fat. Oh, he's just a, oh, he gives out tickets for free to all his shows. So when I when I sold out my first world tour, uh, I heard a, a lot of people saying that, oh, Nimmer's selling out. He's not selling out. He just invites people to his shows. And uh, my reply was, if I can do, at that time, it was 29 cities. If I can go to 29 cities across the world and fill them out with people I know, that's fucking amazing. To, to know that many people <laughs> who who I can like pick up the phone and it's exhausting just to invite them all, which is incredible. But I think the importance of accepting yourself is not just for you, but it's for, for the world we live in. The sooner you accept yourself, the better off we all are. And accepting yourself, man, it's like video games. I just finished God of War. And um, just every video game, you learn your character's moveset. You learn the mechanics. They can jump. They can fly. When your health is low, you can activate this perk. When this is, And then you start to put your experience points into skills, what you're better at, right? So in God of War, you're playing as Kratos. And the more you kill, the more experience points you get. And then you can use those experience points and enhance your strength or your defense. So if you're a, you're a player who likes to go in and start beating the shit out of everyone, you enhance your strength. If you're somebody who values defensive, retreative strategies, you you enhance your defense. Uh, if you're somebody who wants to use magic, you enhance your magic. And I don't understand why in real life we don't act the same way. We should realize that we're the character in our own video game. And we should take a look at what our strengths and weaknesses are. And we should embrace them. Because the sooner you embrace them, the more you can maximize your strengths. Right. So as soon as you embrace them, you can come and say, look, I'm good at this thing. I'm bad at that thing. So either you're going to be like, I'm good at this thing. So I'm going to keep doing this and do it even better. Or I'm good at this thing. So I'm going to put that to the side. I'm bad at that. So I'm going to work on that. But you have to understand, man, as human beings, we evolve. Even if you're ugly, go to the gym. Go to the fucking gym, dude. You know what I'm saying? If you're a guy and you're ugly, it's fine. You got it better than the women. Women. They get judged on way worse than men. But if you're a guy and you're ugly, go to the gym, get shredded, you know, or don't give a fuck. Have a great personality or do both. Right. You know what I'm saying? Do whatever makes you happy, man. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? If you're sitting out there and you're masturbating every single day, four times a day watching uh, uh, some TV show that you're you're connecting with. Is that what is that your life or could you do better? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, try to do better. And for women too, man, don't settle. I love that women are becoming more independent and they don't give a shit. And it just don't settle, man. Don't get a man or a woman in your life. If you're, look, if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're trans, whatever you are, don't settle, man. You got years on this earth, years. And I'm, I'm a guy who doesn't like to be like, yeah, but what if you die young? I don't like to plan for the negative. I've never been, I've never been the kind of guy who's like, oh, dude, I don't want to do the show because what if nobody laughs? I'm like, man, let's do the show because imagine everybody laughs, right? So um, imagine that you're here for the rest of your life. In 60 years, you don't mean to tell me you could gather some fucking impressive skills, right? Pick up a guitar, learn something. Just don't waste, don't connect your emotion, your emotional um, value on things that don't matter. Don't take it from people. Like, don't be like, oh, I'm in a relationship, I feel good. I'm not in a relationship, I don't feel good. Or I'm so ugly, nobody's gonna like me. Or I'm like this and, and that's gonna happen. Or I don't know how to, I've, I'm always so nervous and I'm never gonna get this job. And I'm, Don't be like that, man. I'm always nervous. How am I gonna get that job? Take some classes, learn how to talk, hang around people who talk good. I'm so ugly, nobody's ever gonna be attracted to me. No, you're not. You're ugly because you're projecting it. Nobody's ugly, man. Nobody's ugly. Everybody's attractive to somebody. That's the bottom line. Accept that, man. Just stop being the kind of person who judges yourself and others. Like, nobody's going to find me attractive. And then somebody finds you attractive. And you're like, no, fuck that. They're ugly. What the fuck are you doing? Don't be like that. You know, find the beauty in you and just project it. And don't be like those people online that are like, yeah, uh-huh, I'm so beautiful. Like they're they're overweight and they're out there saying like it doesn't matter. Here's the difference. You could be fat and that's totally fine. But it doesn't mean you're healthy. And that's just something you got to accept. I accepted it. I was fat. I was unhealthy. I get up on stage. It'd be longer to do a longer. It'd be harder to do a longer show. Uh, I'm traveling a lot. I get sick more often. So I hit the gym, got my immune system up and I'm doing much better. Don't laugh at yourself. Do not accept yourself. Never accept who you are. Just don't judge. Don't accept. Don't judge. Accept where you are now and move towards something, man. Do it. Just fucking do it. You can do it. And the most important thing is to never judge yourself and be comfortable with who you are. Because who you are is who you are at the moment. It's not who you're going to be forever. And sometimes you improve, sometimes you go back. What you have to be is self-critical. You got to hate yourself. Love isn't the answer. (laughs) Love isn't the answer, man. Don't love yourself. Hate yourself. Love what you can be. You know what I'm saying? It's healthy. It's it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think that's a great way to end this podcast. It's gone on for a while. I got to see whatever this light is that keeps flickering. I don't know if you guys are even seeing it or not. Anywho, this was episode one of... Uh, a very the very funny podcast it had some good laughs a, f- a few good stories uh, let me know what you liked and disliked about the show uh your feedback is everything this is episode one i tried to do a bit of everything in this show i just tried to be me honestly but if you like a certain aspect more and you want to see more of it if you like me to talk about more um real stories i will if you'd like me to t- take on subjects and just rant like a stand-up comic would i'll gladly do that um let me know Put it down in the comments. And uh, thanks for tuning in, man. Tell all your friends and everybody about the show so that we make sure that everybody knows and help me spread this thing. You got friends and family in um, in Miami. 
uh, London, Amsterdam, Paris, or Berlin, uh, let them know. I got the shows coming up to head to NimmerComedy.com to get their tickets. That would mean a lot. I really enjoyed this time with you. I hope you did with me too. And uh, I love you guys, man. I'll see you on episode two next week. Bye-bye.